Hey there! Welcome to ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. And Woj just dropped a bomb. I'm here with Tyler Jones, and Dennis Schroeder is reportedly a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. What do you think of the trade, Tyler? Uh, it's a good trade to, you know, they. Here's the thing. I see this trade in conjunction with the Jeremy Lin one. Uh, I think it's, you know, now that this trade is official and it's gone through that we can safely say that the Hawks trading for Jeremy Lin 100% had this trade in particular in mind. So ultimately in this offseason, they ended up getting out from Dennis Schroeder's contract. Which not which I mean it was I mean it was a negative value contract. All the Hawks really got for him was a twenty twenty two lottery protected first round draft pick, which is a pretty good asset, but they had but the only way they were getting that type of asset, uh trading away Dennis was taking on Carmelo Anthony's uh dead salary of twenty seven million. So the Hawks, like uh the Hawks are basically going to be paying $27 million to Carmelo Anthony to not suit up for him. Uh, that's, a, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow if you're, you know, if your ownership and your management. But at the same time, uh, the Hawks are going to have even more cap flexibility going forward without having it. And, and also, it just it balances the roster because, I mean, you know, the Hawks drafted their point guard and Trey Young and – Dennis Schroeder has not shown the maturity, uh, just hasn't shown the maturity uh, levels enough to suggest that having a team with uh, Dennis Schroeder's replacement on it was going to be a good locker room fit. And, you know, with the Hawks still firmly in rebuild mode, that's just, you just want to get rid of, of as many, you know, dampering external factors like that, like, team chemistry because you know it's it's a professional environment and you want and you want these guys to at least be good about the work you don't want like you don't want um, you just don't want anything bad that could be you know avoidable you know locker room issues that could 100% be avoidable if you get rid of the the common denominator of bad behavior on this roster. And you could say that with Dennis Schroeder uh, going, honestly, even before uh, him and Dwight were butting heads, uh, you know, we, we constantly heard rumblings about how you know, Dennis Schroeder wasn't well-liked. He wasn't a well-liked individual. Um, you know, the Hawks veterans of your Al Horford, Paul Millsap, like Jeff Teague, and they, and I, you know, they, I mean, he, he Dennis, you know, he, He's not a not a bad person, but he he's just frustrating. Uh, he's fr- he, I, you get he's frustrating to watch as a fan of the of the Hawks, and I imagine he has a frustrating type of attitude. It helps him in some respects, uh, but you know he he really just didn't make sense for this team anymore. Uh, Schlenk saw saw great opportunities to get out from uh, really just having to play him. Um, because, I mean, look at it this way. Now, now the Hawks roster is open up for somebody, somebody to take up the scoring spots, right? Somebody to step up their scoring acumen because Dennis isn't there. And 
to me, I find that to be a good thing. Uh, personally, I feel uh, John Collins in particular is probably going to be much more featured than he was than he would have been if Dennis was on the roster, just due to the fact that you know he's he's exceptional in so many areas and so efficient that you know the Hawks may run the offense through him and you know for. And that's just that's a valuable experience to see how far you know you can go with John Collins being that that number one option for the team, or even Torian Prince, as we saw towards the second half of the season when Dennis wasn't there. Torian, I mean, Torian was incredible, um, and so maybe he takes up that role. You know, it's just yeah, that's a good point. He really did uh, it, it, look comfortable with the ball in his hands once Dennis stopped playing. He he looked comfortable, and I and I feel like now. You know, there's not going to be pressure on these guys to win basketball games. And there's not going to be any pressure. There's not going to be any pressure that, you know, now they have really two point guards that will distribute the basketball better, uh, can make open three-pointers, and just in general be uh, just better teammates on the floor. Um, So, you know, the Hawks didn't get what probably the value they expected to get. Right. from Dennis Schroeder uh, when they signed him to the contract. But sure. to me, after you drafted, you know, after they drafted Trey Young, he, he was just, ba- he was a sunk cost and it was always going to, it was going to take, it was always going to take an asset to get rid of his contract. But the good, the good news about this one is that the only asset that got taken up was money and cap space, something that the Hawks weren't going to use to, for winning basketball games. And it, they, in return, they got a, but, you know, a good asset, 2022 first-round draft pick, I would – you could make a good argument. That's probably a better uh, – that's – that I, you know, it's probably a better asset than what the Brooklyn Knicks got for taking on, you know, similar money in uh, in the Denver-Brooklyn trade. Uh, so the Hawks the Hawks got a, got a first-round draft pick, and they got off of Dennis Schroeder's money. Um, you combine that with getting a quality – you know, quality, ba- good basketball player in Jeremy Lin when he's healthy. Um, you know, the Hawks have done well to, you know, really, really improve the future outlook of the organization. Uh, just, just on the offseason alone. So, yeah. you know, I, I give it pluses all around. I do too. I mean, I think you have to take some of the context into play here. One is which you know Dennis still has a pending criminal charge. I mean, Dennis was always good to me. I mean, he was good to talk to. He was forthright and candid. Um, but, you know, he he does have a pending criminal charge against him. And, uh, you know, I've heard that the video doesn't necessarily paint him in a good light. I think he looks like the aggressor in that. And, you know, I sort of expect that it would come down to some type of settlement, but that's just speculation. Uh, but, I mean, you know, that's a factor here, too. Another factor is, you know, they... You know, there's some past tense. They already made the Trey Young drafting. They already made the move for Jeremy Lin. So, you know, other teams kind of know that your hand is forced a little bit. Um, Indeed. But, you know, it worked out because they, they made this trade. You know, they got pretty much an ideal replacement if you take the context of what the Hawks are trying to do this season into into uh, into account. And... You know, if you look at that pick, you know it's a twenty. It's a first round pick. Uh, if it doesn't convey, it turns into two second rounders reportedly. Then, but um, you know that that's a good pick. It's a first rounder, and if you look at 
the future of the Thunder in the Western Conference, I mean, it's crazy to speculate three years out because if you look three years back at the NBA, you know, it's completely, <laughs> it's completely bonkers. Like, you know, where was Melo three years ago? Where was Paul George three years ago? You know, where was Chris Paul three years ago and Blake Griffin and all that? You know, the league changes so much in three years, but I mean, I think if you look at the Western Conference and a team with Westbrook and Paul George, I think that they're going to be a playoff team in the West three years from now. And I think they will be a playoff team that probably isn't the best playoff team in the West three years from now because, you know, Oklahoma's, Oklahoma City's cap situation, especially now taking on Schroeder, they're not, they don't have, they don't have any flexible, they don't have any financial flexibility. So their roster, you know, they'll make moves like this Schroeder one, but it's going to be hard for them to do a whole lot of talent upgrades, you know, given what their financial flexibility is. That's true. Um, I would say on Oklahoma City side, this is a, to me, this is a massive talent upgrade. Oh, absolutely. Um, because Dennis Schroeder is objectionably better than Carmelo Anthony by a lot. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, and I, you know, De- it's strange now that Dennis, not now that Dennis is not the primary creator of a basketball team, I feel like the the very real strengths to his game will just be exemplified, um, you know, especially playing on such a, you know, the Thunder, you know, he, he's the he, he's the third wheel. Like, you know, he's playing alongside Paul George and Russell Westbrook, and he'll really help their bench units um, a lot. Um, you know, he'll keep the he'll keep the minute low, load on Westbrook down, and, uh, you know, he'll, they're, they're probably going to look at him as, you know, you know, he's not James Harden, but he'll be in that role where he's the he's the focal point of the offense when uh, you know Westbrook goes on the bench and you know he'll he'll set up he'll he'll do much better now that he gets to play alongside you know Paul George and Steven Adams, just better you know offensive weapons than what he had in Atlanta for the you know past two seasons. You know, I I love Paul Millsap as much as the next guy, but. You know, he's not Paul George as an offensive uh, floor spacer and just as a scorer. And he'll probably play alongside uh, Westbrook some as well. You know, you hope with Dennis that his uh, three-point shooting will regress back to what he used to be, which was, you know, he was – he like, I feel like this season his 29% is probably a bit on the low side of what his shooting, shooting talent actually is. Right. Um, so – he might see a, he might see a boost with that with Westbrook taking up a lot of you know taking up the heart of the you know just causing havoc as, as he does like he'll have better better quality looks from deep and hopefully he'll be able to hit them and you know once once the Thunder signed Paul George that was going to be their team for for the next four years him and him and Westbrook along with Stephen Adams they didn't have cap space right regardless of what they did right with Carmelo Anthony, there was no trade for them to make for them to have, you know, the type of cap space they need to improve their talent level. So this was for them, you know, for them, for me, this is a win for them of just based on getting the best possible team. And, you know, he Schroeder was a distressed asset in the sense that, 
he's paid as an average starter, um, but he has, and I, you know, I personally feel that if he doesn't, if he doesn't, um, if he's not facing a possible felony uh, charge, which I don't think is going to happen, but if if he doesn't get arrested, uh, right, I'm I'm pretty sure the Hawks, he, we're not, you know, maybe Schlank can get something uh, better uh, long term, but instead of ultimately taking on $27 million right. of Carmelo Anthony's contract. But, you know, because, you know, Dennis is, like, he can play. And Absolutely. that's something that OKC needs. They, they, need, they need good basketball players, right? Regardless, mm-hmm. of, regardless of position, regardless of, oh, he's not ideal, this, that, and the third. Like, Dennis Schroeder can play, and he's good in if you can, you know, structure and limit his role in such a way that, hey, all we really need you to do is score and set guys up, right? Come off right. the bench and just do what you've been doing your entire career. You know, in Atlanta, he was, he was asked to do more than his talent level um, suggested he could carry. Um, yep. He was basically asked – He was, the Hawks basically put him in a position where we need you to be a star of the basketball team. And, you know, he was okay. He was okay. And offensively, at least. Yeah, yep. yeah. And – you know, maybe now he's coming off the bench again. He could be good defensively because it. I mean, if he, if Dennis would just try again on defense, he would be great. He his contract would be great instantly. The Thunder will would will ultimately come out winners of this trade, uh, just because we got a good two way basketball player, right? Yep. At fifteen million a season, who's a starting Kyle player coming off our bench, you know, and somebody we can throw at teams when they, when we want to get Westbrook a blow and you know we don't the drop off isn't as huge as it used to be when uh it was just Raymond Felton. So you know to me this is a you know it's a it's a good trade for uh both sides. Um now we haven't talked about the Muscala for right. uh oh, well, Justin we'll, Anderson. We'll get to that in a minute, but okay. yeah with with Schroeder, yeah, I mean yeah. I agree with you that I think he's a better shooter than he was this past season. I think he's a better defender than he was this past season. I think he's a very competitive person. I think he has a lot of internal drive. You know, for years and years when, when Budenholzer here, you would say, you know, we, we like competitors. And I don't I think I think Schroeder was very, very competitive. And then you look at what happened over this last season and, you know, he got to be the number one guy, but I think he lost a little bit of his competitive edge just because he knew it really wasn't a competitive situation here. I mean, I, I think the way that this season set up for him, I don't think he, – he's Dennis is always a player who played to the level of his competition, I think. You know, when when the, the best teams came in, I thought he had some of his best games. And I think in Oklahoma City, that's going to help him because I think just having Westbrook next to him, Schroeder isn't, isn't going to want to look bad next to him. You know, Schroeder – I don't think he's necessarily going to make a stir for it, but I mean, I think he's going to want to at least look like, you know, just appearance sake, look like a quality option playing next to Westbrook. I think he's that competitive. I worry a little bit that in Oklahoma City, he won't have the same spacing that he had here. I think especially this last season, maybe last season and a half, two seasons, the Hawks spaced the floor, played a lot more five out than they did even back in the 60-win season. And Oklahoma City, you know, I don't, you know, there were times last season that they didn't have ideal spacing, especially if they play Robertson. That makes things 
a lot dicier for Schroeder. I think that would make life harder for him. But I think being in the Western Conference is great for him because if you look at what Oklahoma City wants to do, they want to be a Western Conference power with Houston and Golden State. Those two teams rely so heavily on switching defenses, and that's absolutely great for for Schroeder. I mean, he like you said, he can be Westbrook's replacement. You know, when they need to give Westbrook a blow, you know, he can be the functional equivalent to Westbrook in those situations when you need somebody to break down a defense and a pick and roll isn't going to do it because the things are getting switched so fast that it just doesn't create anything. It, it's funny, you know, if you look at some of the great players like, you know, LeBron and Jordan and players like that, you know, they have their best statistical seasons before they're really as great as they can be. Like LeBron's best statistical seasons, a lot of them came, you know, early in Cleveland. You know, you look at sort of mid-80s Jordan before he won the titles and he had those ridiculous statistical seasons. I wonder if Westbrook, if we're at sort of the end of triple-double season just because they get a little bit more careful with his minutes now that Schroeder's there. And, you know, he, he just kind of looks a little bit more to the bigger picture. But that would take us too far afield. I don't. I don't want to get. You know. Yeah. We don't have to debate the merits of of triple double season, but I just. I think this might be. You know, you might see the the rebounds and the assists start to taper down a little bit, and you know, he'll still he he might be a better player than he he was last year. But I don't. I think statistically, in terms of raw counting stats, it might not look the same for him. I feel. You know, Westbrook is an interesting guy. Um, <laughs> he's a great talent. And I think this will help him in the sense that, you know, maybe he's felt he's been forced or, you know, comp- uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know how to – Westbrook, Westbrook is such a unique person right. that it's hard to figure out what he actually wants because I do believe he's, he's an intense competitor, but at the same time, uh, he he demonstrates behavior that you know you know his on court behavior uh, impact on the game sometimes is negative when he's going for these triple doubles uh, when he's you know not doing everything that he can as a basketball player and to me you know with Dennis now on the team when they play together because they're going to play together right, right. because just just due to the fact that Dennis sure. is probably the fourth best basketball player on the team. So, Absolutely. You know, Billy Donovan's going to get lineups with all, you know, all, uh, you know, with him and Westbrook on the roster floor. Absolutely. You know, maybe, maybe this, maybe this compels Russ to move off the ball a bit more, you know, um, just, you know, just not be such a dead fish when the ball's not in his hands anymore, playing alongside somebody who can legitimately create, not like Raymond Felton, who it's more mind games with teams. You know, he's playing with a with a guy who can legitimately get separation off of any defender um, and cause havoc. So, and you you know maybe Westbrook shooting comes up if he's taking more catch and shoot threes instead of the uh, pull up varieties that he settles for. Um, so we'll see. It's a it's an interesting mix. A lot of it is that, you know, Dennis more or less plays like Russell Westbrook. He's just not as talented. Um, so it will be interesting to see them two play together. Uh, but, I, you know, ultimately I feel like this trade is, you know, it's they weren't getting anything 
for Carmelo, and they got a they got a good basketball player in return. They they traded twenty seven million dollars and got a good basketball player oh. um, on a and if Dennis rebounds defensively and I mean I the problem with Dennis is that he hasn't played good defense. I mean he hasn't played good defense in two years though. Sure, that, that's, that's my right. concern. Like he that and you know we, we've seen Dennis play like I, you know the Hawks played five out basketball. Um, the past two seasons, but the spacing for the Hawks hasn't been there since Al Horford left, right? So, truly, since Al Horford and, you know, Corver had a working ankle, uh, the Hawks really, they've been average, but they haven't been exceptional. So, like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be that big of an adjustment for them going to, going, playing in OKC, uh, but, you know that 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 is a concern for the Thunder. They don't have any shooting, and you, it's hard to say they got worse on that compartment because Carmelo couldn't hit anything last season. I mean, Carmelo, Carmelo was terrible for him. This is just such a win in the in the talent variety that you know. It's, if you're a Thunder fan, it's, you, you can't complain too much about what you got in return. Sure. Yeah, they have to make do with what they have, and I, and I think Schroeder will ultimately be kind of moldable how 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 about a victory lap for for atl and 29 for talking about this last week huh <laughs> that's a victory lap for you because i did not I just, you, like you just brought it you brought it right out of the blue i was like what the thunder why would they do that and then you know once we started talking about it you know yeah this makes you know this makes sense uh, especially because like i mean the money dried up the money dried up for him and Nobody, nobody wanted to pay twenty-seven million dollars for just a first-round draft pick because that's like the twenty twenty-two first-round draft pick is legitimately the only asset that the Thunder has available to them. Um, it, and you know, that's not enough for for twenty-seven million. Um, and and we we saw with the even even and you know this is regurgitating what we said on the last part, but. You know, Brooklyn only got one first round draft pick and they took on a roughly twenty plus million dollars in dead salary. Or not dead salary for them. It would have been dead salary for the Hawks if they took that deal. Um, just because um, you know, Kenneth Reed and Daryl Arthur, there there would just be no role for them in Atlanta with John Collins on the team and Amari Spellman. So you know, for the Nets, it makes a bit more sense because Free can actually play. He's good, and they they do need a center. Uh, well, I mean, they need you know just another big man. Uh, so, so it you know ultimately all, all these you know dra- trades and cap machinations ended up turning up pretty good for the Hawks. You know that it's probably not it's probably not the ultimate goal of getting two first round draft picks for the cap space, but you know a first round pick and getting off of future salary for Dennis Schroeder, who while been going saying he's not dead salary, Dennis is actually a good basketball player when put in a quality, you know, when put in the correct role, which I, which I think we can both agree, like in OKC, he will be in a better role for his talent than what he, he would have been in Atlanta, even if the Hawks didn't trade, didn't draft Trey Young. It's just, it's just a better fit for him as a basketball player. Um, so you know, going forward, we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see how that 2022 pick turns out. 
you know, three years, both is and is not that long, far away, um, or four years, God, I don't know. It's 2018 right now. So yeah, four years, you know, it's not really that far away, but it is. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that pick looks like, but well, the Hawks did well, and Schlank and and the Hawks managers should be proud of what they did this off season. Um, what about? I think uh, my oh, final sorry. thing is Go ahead. I, just my final thing about the trade in general is that you know if you were concerned that the Hawks maybe the Hawks with the Jeremy Lin trade were going to try to do some middle ground, you know, try to be competent or whatever reason. Like I, I think this trade firmly confirms that hey, the Hawks are committed to rebuilding. Um, so we can probably you, you can put those fears to bed and you know be happy that you, you can you can have you can quibble about what the Hawks have done with their draft picks and with their you know with who they've drafted, but at the same time you can't quibble with what the process they're doing, which is accumulating assets and getting off of you know long term money in order to maximize their cap space for even future more future lottery, you know, uh, draft picks and, and young talent. So I think, you know, uh, this, they're, they're, oh, they're, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to tie what you were saying with, you know, the fact that they're getting all these draft picks. It, it reminds me of what Wes Wilcox said last week on, Ooh, I think it was the full 48 podcast. Um, and he, I think he was talking a lot with respect to Milwaukee and, you know, what they're going to have with, with Giannis in the next couple of years. And just in, you know, in terms of being in a, in general, an attractive free agent destination, you know, he, I think he said something like the old model was to show that you're a competitive team, you know, to show that you could win 50 games and then that would make you attractive to free agents. And I, I think he was kind of noting that it's shifting a little bit to more, I think a little bit more like what Boston did which is, yeah, you want to be competitive, but you want to be competitive and also just have a ridiculous amount of assets to just show your, you know, to your potential free agents, hey, you know, you know, if you come here, look, we're, we're kind of sort of competitive, but look, we have all these assets, you know, and you might use some of them to trade, you know, once you get that one first big free agent signing, which I think, you know, you know, however many years from now, I think that's what you want for the the NBA city of Atlanta is to be some sort of free agent destination, at least for one big signing, but then be able to say, look, we've got these assets piled up so that we, once you sign here, free agent marquee player X, we can use some of these assets to go and get player Y right afterward. And and that that was more valuable than necessarily just showing that you were a good team. You know, can I can I rant for a bit about free agent destination and all that sure, that crap? Sure, uh, have at it. Because you know the rap the Raptors make make a great trade to get Kawhi Leonard, and you know now all we hear a bunch of fans talking about how fans and players alike are both saying that hey Toronto isn't Toronto's not going to be a free agent destination after you know doing DeRozan dirty somehow, which I I, I mean I people nobody was going free agents. The type of free agent we're talking about, which is the superstar talent, they just they aren't available until they are. Like I like you know each individual super unique person that there's no one way. 
There's, there's legitimately no one way to say, hey, my franchise should be, like, my franchise is open for a great free agent to come through. The best way to get a superstar talent is to draft them. That's just, like, if you want, if the Hawks want a superstar talent, they got to draft them. And uh, the way to secure that is to lose basketball games and accrue assets and draft somebody in the first round that, you know, lucks up and turns into the next Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, so, like, I'm not <laughs> the Hawks. The Hawks have been a, like th- here's the, here's the thing about the free agent destination all that crap because you know people always say that the Hawks no free agents come here. What what are people talking about? The Hawks got Joe Johnson and Paul Millsap from free agency. You know those are two borderline All Pro in their primes, two borderline All NBA basketball players. Uh, That's right. They it doesn't get better. It really doesn't get better than that. LeBron James. LeBron James decides what organization he's going to go play basketball for. And it's based on, like, Kevin Durant decides what organization he's, he's going to play basketball for. Like, they, they, there's only so much teams can do to appeal to a superstar talent. But the best way to attract that superstar is to have, you know, is to draft somebody. Um, is to draft somebody and then have them be good friends with their, with their, all, with their superstar talent buddies. Um, sure. It's it, that that's probably the only ideal way that any of this works. Um, so if you're like if you're the if you're a fan of the Hawks and you're like, man, no free agents want to come to Atlanta. I'm I'm like go go look at the recent history. No all stars like the Hawks got two in modern NBA, <laughs> NBA history. You'd be hard pressed to find an organization like the Hawks get two all NBA caliber basketball players in in free agency and not be great. I, basketball teams. I, I, I mean, I, I, I agree I with you that they did like, get two fantastic players, but you think you have to put some context on both of us. I don't think people properly evaluated Millsap the way that Danny Ferry did. I just think he, you know, it was a tight market. He was underappreciated and, and, you know, Ferry got him at a ridiculous price. And I think that price shows that, how undervalued he was. And then with Johnson, it's just the opposite. They overpaid. In high, like you at the time they overpaid, but in hindsight, considering that hey, two way wing basketball players are are the stars of the NBA, like it his first contract when he was properly valued. I I I, I you know I don't wanna I don't want to rehash, you know, old Hawks history, but I feel like Joe Johnson got a lot of slack for stuff that was out of his control. And, um, you know, if the Hawks were a better-ran organization, maybe they could have utilized, utilized him a better. But that's beside the point. Joe Johnson did ultimately choose to play for the Atlanta Hawks over the Phoenix Suns, which were a championship-continuing uh, basketball team. And I, I hear what you're saying about Paul Mills, and you're right. Context does matter. But you, can say, you literally can say that for every superstar talent that decides to go to a different team. That, I mean, because we just don't know what the context is. So, and, and it, it just goes back to your point that the best way to attract superstar free agency is to be a flexible team. It's not be tied down to long-term contracts and to have as much assets as possible in order to configure your roster around your superstar to best elevate him as a basketball player and then ultimately um, elevate your team by utilizing those, you know, maximizing those assets. Um, you know, the Bucks are, you know, 
if you know, we talk about the Bucks for the bit for a bit. The problem with the Bucks is that they 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 can't do anything. They they don't have any picks. I mean, right? They the, they the, could. The biggest problem they, for the Bucks is out. They, they've spent years and years overpaying the mid-level talent. They they routinely give guys four years, forty million for role players that filled a nice role for a year, and they. Yeah, they just made that mistake over and over and over again. You know, they made it with Plumley, they made it with Snell, they made it with Delavadova, which was one of the worst contracts ever, unless you count John Henson, which was probably worse. Right. So they they overvalue their guys, and then they they overvalue you know role players that you can you can always find. Then like you could say that this with the Heat as well. You know, they, they've done the similar thing where they, they overvalue their guys. And that's what the Hawks did, right? Um, they overvalued Kent Bazemore and Dennis Schroeder. And, you know, they – I mean, it just ties them down to where to where it was like, okay, we can't really – in good conscience, we can't re-sign Paul Millsap to the contract that he bets to his value. Um, we can't re-sign him and expect to be a – a 50 plus win basketball team because you know we're paying we're paying our guys either market or slightly above market value value contracts but neither of them is a superstar talent and you know it just can't be Paul Millsap and a bunch of dudes at the end of the day that's what it would have been if they re-signed Paul so it's you know it's just it's it's the idea that hey you just have to be flexible and you can't you can't just commit long term. You you can't. You have if you're going to resign your guy, you have to resign them to tradable contracts. Like you can't you can't overspend for them. And if they if they get a better offer somewhere else, then you just got to cut your loss and find the next you know role player for your team. Uh, because the the one talent that is inexhaustible is your star and superstar level players, and those guys are max contracts, and those are the guys who those are the guys you can't pay enough. So you just have to be careful how you dole out your money going forward as a basketball team. The Bucks, you know, you know, Giannis talked about how he's going to be a buck for life and all this good stuff. But man, if they, you know, but Bud's a great coach, but I mean, there's only so much coaching can do, and they they just don't have the baseline talent to compete for a title, and that, you know, that sucks. But that's reality, like. That's just the situation the Milwaukee Bucks are in. And, you know, it's going to be interesting what they do with their future cap space. But uh, if we can return to Atlanta real quick, I do I do want to uh, talk about the Muscala-Anderson part. Sure. Um, Which one first? You know, Muscala uh, – we can talk about Muscala just because we're more knowledgeable about him. You know, he's, right. he's a good guy, hard worker, uh, it's going to suck that he's not going to be here anymore. I, to me personally, I felt like he really came into his own as an NBA player this past season. You know, he he constantly struggled through uh, lower leg injuries that, you know, hampered his effectiveness. And, you know, with him, you know, he, he, he made himself into a quality, you know, role player, quality backup, uh, good shooter, and a good defender, and you know the Hawks. The Hawks are worse off that he's not 
he's not on the team anymore. Um, great locker room guy, I imagine. Uh, you know, everybody loves him, and you know he's, you know he's kind of been a fan favorite for a Hawks fan. So it sucks to see him go, but you know he had to be a part of the trade in order to make the salaries work. And uh, Justin Anderson, <sighs> you, you wish he was good. <laughs> you know he looks like he looks like he can be good, but right. every, like you you think he's a good defender based on his physical tools and how he looks and how he plays, but he just he's got to get smarter, and he he just got to he just he's just got to get better at, at playing basketball. I you know he may not you just, he's kind of old, and you wish you wish he developed a bit better, uh, but you know. He's going to have a role in Atlanta because the Hawks, you know, they they it's now now the Hawks have a proper backup for Torn Prince at the small forward position, and it gives them more, you know, Justin Anderson. I ideally gives them more flexibility on what the Hawks can do in their roster configurations, but you know, we'll see. He'll he'll most likely get more consistent playing time than what he would have gotten in Philly. You know, ultimately ultimately it just turned out that he he functionally wasn't good enough to play for them. Um, Consistent minutes, so we'll see. We'll see if he can figure it out in Atlanta. I I personally don't remain hopeful, but you know, hey, it's when you're rebuilding. This is the time to take trials on talents like Justin Anderson. So we'll see. Yeah, they, so uh, I, I just have a thought on Muscal and one on Justin Anderson. Uh, yeah, I think. First of all, thanks to Muscala, he was always uh, good to the media. <laughs> he was good to uh, he was always good about bullshitting about uh, basketball theory and you know how exactly things happened on the court. Uh, so when it was time to actually talk basketball, he was always a good person to bounce those ideas off of and, and willing and, and friendly, which was nice. I really like his fit in Philly. Because I think, you know, if you look at what he does well and what he doesn't do well, you know, starting with the negatives first, I don't, he doesn't rebound well. He doesn't defend well as an interior defender on interior players, but he mm-hmm. shoots, he passes, and I think he's very good as a switch defender, which, you know, could definitely be something that, that Philly uses him a lot for. Philly needs shooting, they need somebody to fill that Ilyasova type role. And I think Muscala will be really, really good at that. And then as far as um, just oh, – oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, you know, similarly to Justin Anderson, you know, you, you do wish he was just like a better – better physically. Um, right. you, you know, the athleticism and the quickness just isn't optimal for – you know, his, his play style. Um, but I, I do think he'll help. He'll space the floor, uh, be a good teammate. He knows where to be defensively. Uh, and you know, he's a good, he's a good rim protector when he's in position. Uh, and he's typically in position because he knows how he knows how he's a smart defender. Right. right. What, what he lacks in talent, you know, he, he makes physical talent. Not, right, you know, just because he's just not physically strong, so he's 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 it's far too easy for the 
the physical bigs in the NBA just to bowl him over. But when he's not, when, when he's in position and he's not going up against monstrosities, you know, he's pretty good. Exactly. Um, yeah. He's really good at like closing out on jump shooters, which, you know, is the way the NBA is going. Um, but, you know, he, he's really good at closeouts and things like that, but just, you know, got bumped bumped out a lot in the post. And I think a lot of that was health, especially the last year. His ankle was not what it was supposed to be. And, you know, if you're not the strongest person to begin with and then you don't have that base, it gets even worse. So hopefully he'll be healthy this season. Uh, I had one thought on Justin Anderson, and it's a little uh, it's a little conspiracy theory-ish. It's a little kind of taping multiple pieces of paper all over the wall and wildly gesturing with my hands. But just, you know, one thought on Justin Anderson, and, and it goes back to a story on that the Philly Inquirer did on the Sixers and their analytics department. And they've got a huge analytics department, I think like 10 people or something like that. And it was a long feature piece. But I queued it up here and it reminded me of Justin Anderson, and I'll get into why in a second, but I'm just going to read it for a second. It says, analytics can also convince a player to change, and it has. Ideally, in the Sixers half-court offense, a wing player will hold on to the ball for about 0.5 seconds, then pass, shoot, or dribble. Earlier this season, the analytics team noticed that one wing player was holding at 1.9 seconds, which is about as long as Embiid holds it, while waiting for a double team. The wing was being a ball stopper. He denied it and indignantly until he saw the numbers. He was stunned, Rucker said. There was good news, too. The same player was an infrequent offensive rebounder, but when he did crash the glass, he was the second-best perimeter rebounder in the entire NBA. Now the wing moves the ball more and crashes more often. And so when I read that, I was like, okay, I want to be a sleuth. I want to figure out who that was. And I was 95 percent convinced that that was Justin Anderson because you know you go through the roster and they're just there weren't a lot of wing players that held the ball for the sixes I mean you look at JJ Redick he wasn't holding the ball and you look at the rebounding rates and it eliminated a lot of players and uh so I think that was something that was sort of a I think I'm pretty sure that that was that was Justin Anderson at the time let's just put it that way So, you know, it sounds like him. Yeah. So that's something he's going to have to change. But I mean, if there's anybody that's going to know how to use him properly, it's going to be Lloyd Pierce because they were together in Philly. Yeah. So that's a good starting point with him that, you know, he has a baseline familiarity with uh, the coach. And, you know, if you're a Hawks fan, uh, I would, I would temper my expectations with Justin Anderson. Because the Philly, the I mean the Sixers. Sorry, based on mine, the Sixers have needed somebody like Justin Anderson. Um, you know, a three and D guy, guy, a guy you can put on good offensive basketball. But like they, you know, the Sixers were a good, were a great defensive team. But you know, they could always use a. They they really in the playoffs you kind of saw that they needed a beefier wing, um, stronger than Covington, and Anderson could never fill that role just because. He wasn't good defender. Like he, he, his perimeter defense, you know, just to put it bluntly, sucked. And offensively, he he was, in, you know, he couldn't really shoot. 
Right. And he made this terrible decision with the basketball in his hand. So uh, we'll see in Atlanta. You know, he has all the physical talent. Um, you know, maybe one day, maybe in Atlanta, in a less stressful environment, uh, you know, where we're not, you know, trying to win every – not that they're not trying to win every game, but, you know, winning games isn't an expected outcome for them that maybe – Maybe he he can come into his own as a basketball player, but I'm not I'm I'm not too hopeful for him. He just to me he just feels like you know a salary piece that that matches in, you know somebody who who can fit. But it, sure, it'll be interesting to see if it'll be interesting. Like honestly, it'll be interesting to see how how the Hawks rotation uh, works out works itself out. He matters enough that they will give him a shot to look at him. You know. They're, they're waving Cleveland and waving Jalen Morris just to make the trade happen because they have to, mathematically speaking, with, you know, what they have to do with cap space. Um, and, you know, so they can give Justin Anderson a flyer, and if it doesn't work out, they're not committed to him in any salary terms beyond this season. So I'm sure they'll give him a fair chance to prove what he can do, but at the same time, it it's pretty low risk. He was, he was just a piece that fit. Agreed. All right. Well, we've gone quite a long time here, so maybe uh, we hook this up with a part two sometime soon where we can talk about the roster because we're kind of thick in the middle with wings, which is probably a good thing in 2018. Uh, But point guard is thin, and with Muscala going out, the bigs are kind of thin. I think we need to kind of break down the roster sometime soon, but maybe not today. Yeah, maybe when they you know add more to the roster, or we have a a better idea of what the what the final team looks like. Oh uh, hell no! To... We we guessed this trade. I want to guess what those roster moves are too. Now I want I want <laughs> I want to do some smart, educated guessing here. But all right, well, all thank right, you for joining that, me. Uh, we kind of got, had to shift into emergency mode here. This this is a big move, and you know Schlenk's now got a first rounder, a second rounder. And a second round swap out of his cap space. It's kind of got what he wanted, I think, right? Yeah, at the end of the day, you could probably say that. All right. We still don't have a good sign-off, so I, I'm still happy well, with our awkward mm-hmm. end dance of, our, are we done, are we done? You got anything you want to plug? <laughs> yeah, just rate, review, and subscribe uh, to the ATL 29. Uh, any type of feedback is much appreciated. You know, we do this for fun. And, you know, it's good to be on the pod with you, Kevin. Uh, Talk to you later. Have a good night, Tyler. See you later.